seated. Glorious. Yeah. Praise the Lord. To sing that to the Lord together. We have a special guest with us this morning to preach to us, and that is Dr. Rick Reed. And he and I go way back, like to when I was three years old. <laughs> so farther back than I can remember. <laughs> That's right. He was my personal pastor for most of my life before I became a pastor myself. And he had a massive influence on my spiritual growth and development over the years. He was the one to baptize me, to officiate at Angela in my marriage, mm -hmm. and later to teach me to preach. And so he's been a pastor in the States and then here in Ottawa for many years, and is now the president of Heritage College and Seminary in Cambridge, down in southern Ontario. I'm sure... He'll share a little bit about the school with us, and there's a table set up at the back. His wife, Linda, is here with him as well, and he's got three kids and three grandkids now, right? Right. And so we are blessed to have him with us. And this is not a usual Mother's Day sermon or passage that he's agreed to preach today, but compared to what I did last year on Mother's Day, do you remember I preached on the Lake of Fire from Revelation 20. <laughs> I think you're in for a treat today. Yeah. So, would you give Pastor Rick a warm welcome? <laughs> thank you, Matt. Well, thank you, Pastor Matt. It's a really delight to be back with you here at Calvary. I've known uh, this church for many years. As uh, Matthew said, we, we pastored here in Ottawa at the Met for 15 years and have stayed in touch um, and it's really fun. Last, a week ago Saturday, we had our graduation at Heritage. And the first graduate at the seminary graduate was Kay from your church. And uh, I had not actually met Kay. I think she had done her studies online. So at the banquet, I think some of her family, her mom and others were there. And they said, you're going to be at our church in like a week and a half. And so I got to meet her. And uh, this was our first time having just a dedicated seminary graduation. We had a college one seminary, and Kay was the first one, so she'll be the answer to a trivia question someday. Who is the first graduate in a live seminary graduation ever in the history of the school? Uh, we love being at Heritage. We love getting to work with uh, students. Matt's a graduate of our school, and we have, you know, for you in Ottawa, we have, Linda and I have such a heart for Ottawa still. It's our, it's our city in Canada we love. We, we live in the, the GTA area, but uh, this is where our heart is. So if you'd like to know more about how you could do some studies, even here, we, everything's online now. Um, you can talk with Kay about that, but uh, there's some info in the back, and I'd be happy to chat with you. We exist to serve the church. We're trying to strengthen people in the church so that they can help the church make a world of difference. I also want to say what a delight it was to sing with you. I agree with Pastor Matt. That was glorious today. Um, thank you, Angela. Thank you, team. One of the things I want to give uh, props to the team especially the, the ones playing instruments today, I love it when instrumentalists sing. Because often, you know, you're, you're, you're playing and you got to concentrate, but your drummer and your bass guy, all you guys were, your violinist, you're all singing away as you were playing away. And I love that because you're not just musicians, you're worshipers and you were leading us. It was beautifully done. Matt said, I've known him for a bunch of years. Uh, uh, we knew his family in California, always had a deep regard for him. Matt's the answer to a trivia question, too. Who was the first couple to get married in the new Met? It was Angela and Matt, right? 
So uh, that was exciting. We've watched them grow up, meet and marry, and now pass, grow into a godly pastoral couple. And I'm so, you are blessed to have folks like him. And then Kenny and Liz, we've known them. We watched them meet and marry. So it's like we're really, we're family here to you all. Pastor Bob and Marilyn, uh, Bob and I went through cancer treatments together at the same time. So uh, we prayed for each other and uh, rooted each other on, and God has been gracious to us. So all that to say, what a treat it is for me to be. Matt reminded me, last time I got to preach here, it was a Mother's Day. So I'm his Mother's Day uh, pinch hitter, I guess. Uh, (laughs) And I preached on the impact of a godly mother. This time, he said to me, we're in a series on Ephesians. Do you want to take the next section? And the next section is on marriage. And I said, I'll be happy to do that because there is a link between marriage and Mother's Day, right? One of the things we long for every mother is that she would have a healthy and happy marriage. In fact, when the marriage goes well, mothering goes better, right? All the mothers would know that. When the marriage goes well, the mothering goes better. And so I get to speak to you today, part of the series on Ephesians, on the chapter on marriage. You know, Linda and I will come up on our 39th anniversary this summer. We were married in June of 1983. And if you saw the pictures of our wedding day, our, our wedding pictures, you would smile. For one thing, uh, I looked a little younger. My wife still looks young and beautiful, but I looked a lot younger then. I'm kind of gray now. But you would also smile because of our outfits, right? Back in the 1980s when we got married... Powder blue tuxedos were fine. They were mighty fine. Now you can buy them at Walmart as costumes, I saw that they sell. (laughs) Now, we didn't have powder blue tuxedos, but we did have black ones, and all the guys had these ruffled shirts and big, fuzzy, black bow ties. Back in the 1980s, those were were wonderful. Now they look like something out of the 1980s, right? So, uh, (laughs) So you'd smile at our pictures, But you know, there is something about wedding pictures. Your wedding pictures, if you're married, mine, no matter how dated they look with the costume, there's something beautiful about them, right? I mean, the the bride is radiant, whatever era. The bride is radiant, and the groom is stately and looks sharp. And there's something when we see wedding pictures, we know that's, that's a beautiful picture of a marriage right there. But you and I know if you took a picture of that same couple after wedding day, in the years that followed, they don't always look quite as radiant, right? We don't always look quite the same. The, uh, some of the marriage day glory fades away. Time has, a way of, time has a way of dimming things, diminishing things. But did you know that God intends the picture of your marriage to actually be more beautiful than the picture of your wedding. Wedding is beautiful, but God actually intends the picture, if you're married, He actually intends the picture of your marriage in the years that follow the wedding to get more and more beautiful. Even as we age, even as we have to learn that we're not as idealistic about things as we once were, He actually desires that the picture of your marriage be stunningly beautiful, and he gives you a picture of what it's supposed to look like in the book of Ephesians. So today what I want to do with you on this Mother's Day is to show you from the scriptures the picture of a Christian wedding. 
And this picture should help all of you if you're married today. This is a picture that you should have etched in your thinking to say, by God's grace, this is the picture we're after. And if you're not married today, you're still actually in this picture, as you'll see. You're very much a part of it today. So whether you're a mom or whether you are a father, whether you're a single, whether you're married, all of us who are in Christ are in this picture. And it has special relevance to all who are married. So would you join me today in Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. And today our passage is in verse 22 through 33. And I want to talk to you about the picture of a Christian marriage. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at our passage together. Lord, on this Mother's Day, we recognize that Mother's Day for many is a joyful, joyful celebratory day. And we join in that. We thank you for those mothers that you've given to love us who raised us, who loved us, who nurtured us. But Lord, we're mindful as well that Mother's Day could also be a painful day for some. As Pastor Matt referenced, there is a longing that is sometimes unfulfilled or disappointed, and we would bring that to you as well. But we also know that celebrating mothers is, is something you call us to do. It's an important thing. We are to honor father and mother. So we honor today those who are our mothers and those who are mothers. And today, Lord, we, we, we lift it up and then we say, help us to see the bigger picture of motherhood, which brings us to the family, which brings us to the marriage. And would you help us today as we look at your word about marriage? Lord, give us a picture that's beautiful and help it to be a pattern for our lives so that we would live for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 to 33 gives us the picture of a Christian marriage. And the picture is Christ and the church. That's the picture that he's going to give us. He's going to say, you want to understand marriage? You've got to look at Christ and the church. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go through the passage twice. I want to go through, I'll read it, and then I want to look through it and say, what is the picture we get of Christ and the church. And if you're a Christian here, you're in the picture. So this is really not just for moms today, this is for everyone. So we'll look at Christ in the church, and then we'll see how the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, goes back and says, that picture should help you with your marriage. That's where we want to go today. So let me read the text, and then we'll look at it twice, okay? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As I mentioned, the picture really begins by saying, let's start by talking about how Jesus loves his church, loves us, loves all who are in Christ. And what I want to do is show you how Jesus relates to the church and how the church relates to Jesus. And then that will be our picture, okay? So let's start. Let's start with how does Jesus relate to the church? Let me show you at least three things that come out of our text that are part of the picture. How does Jesus relate to the church? Here's the first thing. He directs and provides for the church. What does Jesus do for us as his church? He directs and provides for the church. That comes out of verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, here it is, Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Now, over the years, there's been some theological discussion and debate about what that means, that Christ is the head of the church. And there's kind of two basic views, two basic understandings of what it means that Christ is the head of the church. One view says, well, what that means is that Christ directs the church. He gives direction to the church. And there the idea is that Christ is as the head to the body. The head directs the rest of the body. From the brain, the, the head sends signals and the body moves. So Christ is the head. He gives leadership. He gives direction to the church. Think of headquarters. You know, the, the, as Christ, he's like headquarters for the church. He gives it direction. And that idea is found in chapter 1, verse 22. If you look at chapter 1, verse 22, you'll see that idea of head as direction, where it says, 122 says, And he put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, gave Jesus at, as head over all things to the church. So it's the idea of authority. It's, it's leadership there. So one view of head says, well, Jesus gives direction to the church. Okay, But there's another view. Some say, well, I think it actually means that Jesus gives provision to the church. Here's the idea that head is the source. Think headwaters. You know, the headwaters of a stream is where the river starts, right? And so everything flows from the headwaters, flows down and fills the stream and flows down. And they're saying that Jesus is the source. The head of the body is the source of the rest of the body's needs. So which one do you think it is? Do you think when it says Christ is the head of the church, it means he gives direction or he gives provision? And the answer is yes, right? Of course, he does both. He gives us direction. If you're a Christian, you follow the directions of the head, the Lord Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you rely on the supply, the source, the provision of the Lord Jesus. Let me just say a word to moms here today. Moms, you know that you need from Jesus, you need his direction and his provision, right? You need him. There's so many quandaries of being a mom. You're going to need the Lord to give guidance over and over to lead you. But you also need his empowerment, his strength to keep doing what he calls you to do. And Jesus is that for the church. So he directs and he provides for his church. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing that Jesus does for his church. And he does it for us. He willingly sacrifices for the church. Jesus willingly 
sacrifices for the church. That comes out in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now notice what comes next. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love is demonstrated by sacrifice here. He gave himself up. And you know, Pastor Matt led us in communion today. When it says Christ gave himself up, it doesn't mean that he was inconvenienced for us, does it? It means that he gave his life for us. He went to the cross for us. He died for us. One of my uh, seminary professors used to say, he took the blame for something he didn't do for us. So he sacrifices himself. Now that's the picture. And if you're in Christ, Jesus did this for you. And that's why we celebrated communion today. That's why it was so moving for us. We think, Jesus, how wonderful that you would give yourself for us. Moms, those of you who are mothers here today, you make many sacrifices for your family. I know that. My own mother did that for me. I've watched my own wife do that for our kids. I know, moms, you make many sacrifices. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus made a greater sacrifice for you? Whatever sacrifice you make for your kids, he made a greater sacrifice for his bride. So he willingly sacrifices for his church. Here's the third thing he does. And the text is quite clear on this one. He loves the church as himself. He loves the church as himself. This one is a bit mind-boggling, but let me show it to you. It comes out clear. Look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Here it is. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. It's saying that Jesus, if you're a Christian, just, this will be a little bit hard to grasp. If you're a Christian, Jesus loves you like you were himself. And Paul says, look, no one ever hates himself. We take care of our bodies. We feed our bodies. Jesus says, you are my body. That's how much he loves you. You can't separate. That's why we're secure in the love of Christ. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Because in Christ... He sees us as we are his body. In fact, I love how what Paul does here in verse 31. He quotes, after saying we are members of his body, he quotes from Genesis 2.24. Look at verse 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we think, well, yep, that's about marriage. But look what Paul says next, verse 32. This is a profound mystery, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. See, often we think, we think that marriage is a picture to help us understand Christ in the church. But the Bible says, no, it's the other way around. Christ in the church is a picture to help us understand marriage. Like the bigger reality is Jesus in the church, and he loves us as himself. That's an amazing thought. So Paul is saying, let's, let's get this picture and let's start thinking about the heavenly groom. Let's think about Jesus. He directs and he provides for us as his church. He willingly sacrifices for us as his church. And he sees us as we are his body. He loves us as himself. Okay? Now, let's go to the other side. Let's see, how does the church relate to Jesus? So that's the part of the picture, Christ and the church. Let's look at how the church relates to Christ. And I got a couple things for you here that come out of our passage. 
Here's the first thing. The church respects and follows his leadership. The church respects Jesus and follows his leadership. That comes out of verse 24. Look at it again. Now, as the church submits to Christ. So the church, that's us, right? That's all of us who know Christ. We submit to him. The word submit in the original language means to arrange under. So the idea is that you voluntarily put yourself under and saying, I'm going to follow your lead. That's what we do with Jesus. We say, Jesus, where you lead, I follow. Now, it's not hard for us to do that. It's not onerous for us to do that because he gave his life for us. Like he already gave everything he had for us. And so now we say, well, Lord, what can I do but give you all that I am? You loved me that way, so I love you. John says it in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. So what do we do as a church? We respect and we follow his lead. Here's the second thing we do as a church. As, as a church, the church grows in spiritual beauty. You know what we do to honor him? We grow to be more beautiful and more radiant. You say, where do you get that? Well, I get that out of verses 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, speaking of the church, by the washing of water with the word, so that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, that's the church, might be holy and without blemish. Here's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to become more beautiful over the years. And so to honor him, we grow in beauty. We, we get cleaned up by the word of God. Did you see that in verse 26? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And then we become more radiant. We get rid of the spots and wrinkles and everything like that so we could be holy and without blemish before him. So that's how the church responds to Jesus. So you got the picture so far? Jesus loves the church, gives direction and provision, gives his life, sees the church as himself. The church responds to him by saying, I respect that, I follow your lead, and I'm going to grow up in you and become more beautiful. That's the picture. Now, here's the amazing thing that Paul does. He does this a lot. He takes these lofty theological concepts like some of the highest theology, and he brings it down to street level and says, this theological truth will help you on your daily life. And here he says, all of you who are married, this picture will help you with your marriage. So now what I want to do is go back through the text and see how that picture plays out at your house if you're married, how it plays out at my house if I'm married. Some of you are not yet married. Someday you might be. This is a good picture to have in your mind. All of us have a stake in the game to see marriages do well. Because as the family does well, society does well, the church does well. So what's the picture? So let's go through and let's start off. We'll work our way through the passage. And Paul starts with wives in verses 22 to 24. Now, there was a day, guys, I have to tell you this. There was a day when this passage was preached and it seemed like all the attention was given to the wives. Wives, here's your job. Here's your job description. Let's make sure you get your job description. But what I've realized is that Paul gives three verses to the ladies, to the wives, and then he gives eight verses to the guys. So just by weight of emphasis, he's actually saying, men, you better man up here. There's going to be a lot for you. So he's going to start with the women. 
He says, now let's see how the picture applies to you, wives. And then he goes to the husband. So let's start where Paul does. How are wives to relate to their husband based on the picture? Here's the first thing. If you're a Christian woman and you're married, what, do you, what does the Lord want you to do? First thing is this. You follow your husband's lead. You follow his lead. You get that out of verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I know that culturally, our society is not really big on submission to anyone. We're an independent group. But did you know the Bible calls us all as Christians to submit? That's part of everyone's job description if you're a Christian, right? Verse, look at verse 21, right before our passage started. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's a sense in which everybody gets to submit. We all have to learn this. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says that we are to submit to government authorities. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 16 says, we submit to church leaders. So if you're a member of a church, you submit to the leaders of the church. All of us have to do that. Get this, 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says that Jesus submitted to the Father and will submit to the Father. Now, Jesus is not less than the Father. You know your theology enough to know that, the, that there is an equality among the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But Jesus arranges himself under the Father's lead. So all Christians, even Christ, have tasted submission. Here it says to wives, wives, submit to your own husband. Follow his lead. Be willing to do that. Arrange yourself under that. Now, I know that raises some questions. One question that some wives would honestly have, it's a fair question, it says, what happens if my husband doesn't lead? My wife would tell you that in her years of serving with me in pastoral ministry, one of the questions that women have said to her most frequently who are married is, I just wish my husband would lead, but he's not. So what do you do if you're told to follow his lead and he's not leading? Well, we're going to get to that when we get to the guys. Remember I said there's eight verses for the guys? So that's coming. So guys, hang on there and just keep that in mind. But here's a second spinoff question let me deal with now. Some women would ask, but what do I do if my husband is leading in the wrong way? If he's going against the Lord? If he's not going in God's ways? Do I follow that? Well, I think our text answers it. Look at verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Look at the next phrase. As to what? The Lord. In other words, you are to do this as to the Lord. Would the Lord want you to go against the Lord's ways? Well, no. So you can't follow somebody if they're going against the Lord. You'd have, you'd have to say, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't go there. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? Do you remember the story? They, were, they kind of conspired together to look a little better than they were. They pretended they were hip, hypocrites, right? They pretended to sell property and give it all to the church, but they didn't really. So Ananias comes in. And he tells Peter and the other leaders, I sold this property. I want to give all the proceeds to the church. And Peter says to him, Ananias, it was your money. When you sold it, you could have done whatever you want. You didn't have to give it all away, but you should not have lied 
that you're giving it all away when you're not. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord strikes Ananias down, and he dies. Like right then. Don't you think that would have got everyone's attention in the church, right? A few hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in. And Peter says to her, did you guys uh, sell the property for this much and give it all to the church? And she says, yep, that's what we did. And Peter says, how did you conspire together with your husband to lie against the Holy Spirit? And she dies. Here's what's interesting. She doesn't get a pass. She doesn't get to say, well, I was following the lead of my husband. And he wanted to do this, so that's why I'm going along with it. She, it's like, that's not a good excuse. Peter still looks at her and says, you shouldn't have done this. Even if your husband's going to try to do this, you'd have to say, babe, I can't be part of that. Because I, I have to do this as unto the Lord. So do we follow someone's lead who's going against the Lord? We'd say, no, I can't do that. As to the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. What a wife can do to, risk, to play out the picture is follow his lead. Let me give you a second thing that also comes out of our text. How does a wife relate to her husband based on the picture? Second thing, follow his lead. Secondly, show him respect. Show him respect. That comes out clearly out of the last verse, doesn't it? Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A number of years ago, Linda and I went to a conference called Love and Respect, and it was actually incredibly helpful. It was a, and one of the points that Emerson Egrich, the, uh, the author and speaker of that conference, made was this. He said this, both men and women need love and respect. We all want to be loved and we all want to be treated with dignity and respect. But he said, it's interesting. It seems there is a special sense in which men respond well to respect. And he cited a massive study that was done that asked men, if you had to choose, would you rather be unloved or disrespected? And the men overwhelmingly chose, I'd rather be unloved. In other words, respect was a really important category. And Egerich said this to us. He said, there is, there's a sense in which respect, and guys, you'll get this. There's a, there's a sense in which respect is the mother tongue of a man. We, we get that. And he says, good coaches, good military leaders understand that. They will call a man out, but they'll always show him respect. And then he pretended he was a hockey coach at the intermission when the team had not been playing well in the first, first period. And he says, a good coach will do something like this. He'll look at these guys and he'll say, what were you doing out there? You guys are better than this. I've seen you play before. I know you can do this. You are not showing who you... See what he's doing? He's calling them up by saying, you're better than this. You can do this. And he says, a good-hearted man will rise up to that and say, I want to live that out. And he's saying to wives here, there's a sense in which when you speak respect to a husband, it calls him up to be what God wants him to be. A good-hearted man will do that. But you say, but what happens if my husband is not that respectable? And that's the sad truth. There are women who are married to a man who's not acting or being respect. Do you still respect someone who's not respectable? Let me ask you this. Does the Bible call us to respect our political leaders? It actually does. Romans, church, Romans 13, verse 7, it says, Give honor to whom whose honor is due, taxes to whom taxes is due, respect to whom respect is due in the context of a political setting. Let me ask you, are our political leaders always respectable? No, they're not always. They're like us. They're human. 
Some of them are better than others, but the office that they hold is worthy of respect because it says the Lord has put them there. So we respect the office even when the person is not always respectable. And I think that there's a sense in which a wife, a Christian wife, Christian husband, she's called to say, you know, right now he's still not all he's going to be, but I'm going to seek wherever I can to show respect. God says that's the, that's the picture like the church does for Jesus, that's what a wife does for the husband, okay? So that's the three verses for the ladies. Now let's go to the eight verses for the guys. How is the husband supposed to relate to his wife? What does the text say? And I've got three things that I want to say. Guys, this is for you. And moms, you can now just sit back and smile because I've got some... I'm going to talk straight up to the, the men. And uh, mothers here, you should say, preach it, brother. Preach it, all right? <laughs> So what is, what is a guy supposed to do if he's married? What does the Lord want? Based on the picture, remember Christ in the church. Here's the first thing. We are to give direction and provision to our wives and family. We are to give direction and provision. I could speak a long time on this, but let me just highlight a few areas, brothers, where this, is, where this plays out. It, it should be in the area of financial direction and provision. A good-hearted man is going to want to support his family, and he'll bust his tail to do that. He'll work hard. He'll work long hours. He'll carry the major responsibility to provide for his wife and family. Good-hearted men will do that. They won't shirk that. I get there are situations where illness or disability makes that hard to do, but a good-hearted man knows that's what I want to do. I'll sacrifice so I can care for my family. That's so financial provision. But let me give you a couple more that the text highlights. I think he will give spiritual direction and provision. That's really the emphasis of the text, isn't it? Because that's what Jesus does for the church. Look at it. He, he washes her with the water of the word. You see that in verse 26? So that she, the bride, might be all that God wants her to be, spot without spot or wrinkle. Men, if you're married, God calls you to take the lead in giving spiritual direction and provision to your wife and children. You say, how do I do that? Listen, I've worked with men for a lot of years, and I know there's a lot of good-hearted men that just say, I don't, like, I don't exactly know what to do. I don't feel like I'm some great spiritual leader. I'm not sure I can do this. Well, let me give you some specific things that can be done that are available to all of us as husbands. When it comes to spiritual direction and provision, here's one thing you can do. Remember it says, washing her with the water of the word? What I'd say to you is this, men. Make sure you wash your, your family, your wife, with the water of the word. Bring the word of God into your home. Bring the word of God into your marriage. Read the word of God together. Guys, just read a chapter a day with your spouse and your family. If you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of John tomorrow, and before the end of May, you'll work your way through John. One chapter a day. Do it at dinner. Do it at bedtime. But just read the chapter. Read it and say, "Hun, let's read God's word together. Here's another thing you can do. Not only read God's word, but pray God's word together. Just say, we just read it. Now let's pray for each other. You say, well, I'm not a real good prayer out loud. That's okay. Man up and pray, right? Just say, Lord, here I am. This is what we need. Help us. We just read in your word, and now I'm asking you would help me to live that out. Just say that. Pray that. You can do that. Bring the word of God to your wife. I have a friend whose wife went through a long, protracted illness, and she was, she was struggling with depression 
and discouragement. And for five months, every day, he texted her or wrote her out a verse. Every, every day, he'd say, "Hun, here's the verse for today. He just gave her a little piece of God's word every day. And, and she said it was a huge lift to her. Every, she looked forward to that. What's the verse he's going to bring me today? So pray the word of God. Give the word of God. Make sure your wife and your children hear the word of God. I commend you men who are married for being here today at Calvary. Bring them here so they hear the word of God. The word of God is what will change us. So you take the lead in providing it and making sure your family gets it. But let me give you one other area under this category of direction and provision. We've talked about financial, we've talked about spiritual, but here's the third one. Family direction and provision. Remember how I said many wives say, my husband just doesn't lead. And I would say, guys, this is an indictment on us. We need to really step up. In fact, Pastor Matt will get to it when you get to chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, bring them up in the, look at the two things here, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So often, guys, if I can say this charitably, you know this is somewhat true. So often we men subcontract out the raising of the children to our wives. And they do the discipline. And they do the instruction. But Paul says, he says, fathers, verse 4, fathers, does that mean mothers aren't supposed to do this? No, Paul knows that mothers are already doing this. So he's saying, Guys, you be a partner. You partner with this. So men, what I would say to you, one of the ways you bless your wife as a mother is you step up and you help, you stand up and you give the discipline. You give the instruction to your children. You work with her. It will lift the burden when you're doing it together. So what does a man do if he wants to follow the picture of Jesus in the church? He gives direction and provision. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. God calls us as husbands to willingly sacrifice for our wives. Willingly sacrifice. I get that right out of verse 25. Look at it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, he says, you do in little what Jesus did in large. He gave himself up fully for his bride. You do that. You willingly sacrifice. There is an innate selfishness in all of us as men, really in all of us as humans. And God says to us, don't let that win out. Remember what Jesus did for his bride. He willingly sacrificed. That's what you need to do. So you sacrifice time. You sacrifice money. You give what for time. I, as I've spoken with my wife, one of the areas where she says, I really would love this is when you just carve out time for me. You can be busy with everything else, even in the work of the Lord. But is there time for your wife? Is there time for your children? You sacrifice time. You sacrifice your interests to be part of her interests. You watch the show she wants to watch even when the game's on, right? So you just say, let's do what you want today. We got a day off. What, what would you like? What would delight your heart today? Instead of saying, this is what I want to do, you say, what do you want to do? And then money. You say, how can I invest in her? How can I show her her value? Guys, I would say one of the ways you can do this is you can invest in your wife's spiritual growth. What books would she like to have? What classes would she like to take? 
How, would, how can you bless her so that she keeps growing to be the beautiful woman God wants her to be? Willingly sacrifice. That's what Jesus did, and that's the picture for husbands. And here's the third one. Follows what Jesus did. You love her as you love yourself. You love her as you love yourself. Look at verse 28 again. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Love, it, love her like she was you. You know what that means, men? You will never threaten to leave her because you can't leave yourself. You will never use divorce in the heat of an argument as a threat because you can't divorce yourself. And she's like you, right? Love her as she was your own body. Would Jesus ever walk away from his church? You say, well, no. Well, that's the picture, right? You don't walk away. You love her as you love yourself. Somebody has said this. The best thing you can do, guys, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your kid's mother. Because when you love the mother of your children, when you love your wife, there's a security that comes to your children. They just go, I don't know what's going on, but my mom and dad are making it. All's right with my world. They, don't, they can't consciously think that, but they know that. So when you love her like she was yourself, there's something that goes on that helps her. As I said, when the marriage is going well, the mothering goes better. You're helping her. So as you hear that, as you hear that picture, Jesus and the church, husbands and wives, if you're like me, you think this. It's a beautiful picture. But that's a tall order. I mean, that, that's a tall order, what we're being asked to do. Like submission and sacrifice don't come naturally to any of us. And yet that's the picture, right? So how in the world are we going to pull this off? How can God expect people like you, people like me, to do what the Scripture says? Really, where, is that going to happen? Is this just a picture that is unattainable? Well, actually, in our text, in the verses that come right before, you get the answer. In verse 18, which is the passage right before, let me remind you of what it said. It says, do not get drunk with wine. Do you see it? I mean, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with what? The Spirit. And then he goes in to say, do all these things, including parent, mother, or marriage and parenting. All those things flow out. Yes, you don't have the ability to pull this off in your own strength, but you don't have to. You can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm part of your church. I'm part of your bride. Would you fill me with yourself? Would the life of Jesus live in me through his spirit so that I can live out the picture? You see, God not only gives you a picture, he gives you the empowerment. He gives you himself. And so what I long for for this day on this Mother's Day, I would long for all the mums here today to feel incredibly loved by Jesus and by their husband and by their families. And Jesus gives us this picture, starting with himself, coming all the way down to us. And as we do that, it's a beautiful picture and everyone wins. You know, I do want to say this. I've, I've assumed all the way along today that you're part of this picture. I said, if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, you're part of this picture. You're part of the church. But as Pastor Matt said early on, it's possible you're here today and you're hearing all this 
and you're still really not part of the picture yet because you've never come to that place where Jesus has become your Savior. You know he's the Savior. You've heard that. But you've never said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, to forgive my sin, to make me your son or daughter, to make me part of you. If you've never done that, that's what you need to do first. And then you get to be part of the picture. When you give your life to Christ and receive his life to you, then everything changes, and now you have the resources to live his life. So let's, let's close with a word of prayer, and I think Angela and the team are going to lead us in some final songs. But let's close, and we'll give our hearts to the Lord and ask for his help. Why don't you pray silently and ask the Lord for his grace to live out your part of his picture, to know that you're loved by him, and then to live out that love in the context of family life, marriage, in whatever arenas God has you in. You pray silently, and then I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give us the picture of Christ in the church, a picture we can be part of, and then a picture that becomes part of us and that guides us. For as husbands, Lord, we now have a picture of Jesus loving his bride to guide us to love ours. And for wives to say, we know what it's like for the church to respond to Jesus, and that gives us a picture to follow. We ask, Lord, that we would do this. You've done so much for us. You've given us life. You've given us of your spirit. And now we give you ourselves back. And we do this for your glory and for the good of the homes here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.